Hello, Real People. Ashley Brewer here, your host for today's episode of Real Stories, Real People. I'm very excited to bring to you the story of my good friend, Samantha Montgomery, or Sam, as I call her. I had the pleasure of working with Sam for a couple of years, and when I decided to start this venture, I absolutely knew that she was someone I wanted, and not only wanted, really needed to have on my team. Now, during this episode, Sam shares how she learned she was struggling with anxiety. She also shares how her life was changed after losing a family member to suicide. Now, a couple of disclaimers before we get started. This show covers a wide variety of topics related to mental health and life in general. These topics can be difficult for some people, so use your best judgment when listening to the show. We're not therapists, counselors, or mental health professionals. Information shared on this show is not a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Never ignore professional medical advice because of something you heard on this show. Without further ado, I bring to you my good friend, Samantha Montgomery. Episode three, here we go. Welcome to Real Stories, Real People, a personal journal, mental health, and self-improvement podcast where we're shattering stigma one story at a time. We're committed to talking about the tough things in life so that others can find hope. So tune in and hang on. Because here we go. Hi, Sam. Welcome to the podcast. Super excited to have you today. Hi, Ashley. Thank you so much. I'm excited to be here. So you decided to join Could Have Been Me as one of our board members, and I'd just like you to share kind of a little bit about where that came from and where we're at starting today. Yeah, awesome. So um, I actually kind of before we jump into um, a little bit about why I decided to you know join this organization, and I wanted to pre-frame today's podcast um, just by letting you know anyone who's listening, if you've been listening to some of the stories that have been shared over, you know, the last couple of days and you're hearing these just crazy, dramatic, traumatic, amazing stories that people have been through. And you're kind of thinking, man, I really haven't experienced a traumatic event in my life, but yet I still have a mental illness that I'm dealing with. And I don't really know how I fit into this. And I just want to let you know, like your reality is your reality. And you, you fit in and your voice deserves to be heard because whether you have lost a child or you have suffered extreme depression or you have attempted suicide or you have been sexually assaulted, you've been abused, um, or you, you just have anxiety, you fit into this story and we want you to share your story. We want your voice to be heard. So No, I think that's really important, Sam, because I think people can hear my story. I mean, I even hear my story and I'm like, well, gosh, of course that woman has some form of mental illness. Like she's been through the ringer. 
But Mm -hmm. my journey didn't start like that. And so my journey started where you can go back and listen to my episode, but my life was good and everything was seemingly normal. And I didn't have a quote unquote reason, like many Mm -hmm. of us think, that we have these struggles in life. And the truth is, is there doesn't need to be a reason. Mental illness is mental illness. Anxiety is anxiety. Depression is depression. Yeah. And you can almost feel guilty. I mean, hearing someone who has had a traumatic event happen to them, like I said, whether it is a loss of a child or a sexual assault or um, an extreme case of abuse or bullying, and you hear those things and you're like, I feel so guilty because why, who am I to say, wow, I I just have anxiety or I have depression or I have OCD. Um, You know, I'm very particular about these things, but I, I wasn't bullied. So who am I to say that? But the fact of the matter is, is it's real and it is your reality. Um, and so, like I said, your voice deserves to be heard. So, um, uh, yeah, about me, Ashley. So I was born and raised in Indiana. Um, so I'm a Midwestern girl, just like you. And, um, I grew up in South Bend, Indiana, so go Irish. And, um, just recently in the last, uh, six years, I moved down to Florida. So I actually live down here now, total change of scenery, total change in climate, but I'm loving life. So that's, that's a good thing. Um, and so for me, I mean, my story is kind of similar to your story in the beginning and the fact that I didn't experience any, um, I, I was, I had a seemingly normal life, a seemingly boring Midwestern life. Which Um, let's define normal. There is no real (laughs) thing as normal, but come on. Correct. Yeah. So, um, you know, I, I didn't experience abuse. Um, I was never bullied. Um, I didn't experience sexual assault or trauma or, um, like a very, uh, I don't even know how you say it, a loss that just hit me really hard. Um, I hadn't experienced that in 26 years of life. And, but what I did experience when I was a teenager, I started experiencing kind of emotions and and exhibiting behaviors that I had no clue what it was. And you know, so I would say probably around the age of like 14, 15, um, you know, kind of like getting ready to like drive and going into high school. Um, I was very, I, I, I was a perfectionist. Yeah. I, things had to be done perfectly or throw it out the window because it wasn't worth it. Like yeah. if I couldn't do it perfect and I couldn't do it right, it wasn't even worth it. Yeah. Um, I had these feelings of like, I just need to do it because if I don't do it, it's not going to be done right. And I can't handle that. And, um, you know, feelings of just highs and lows and it was very exhausting. I remember sometimes as a teenager, just being mentally tired of dealing with things and I didn't know what it was. I had no label to put on these feelings or behaviors that I was exhibiting and it was confusing. And I think as a teenager, life tends to be confusing. Um, you know, you're going through different changes and, um, you know, it was just, it was a very trying time trying to understand, you know, living like this, like you said, quote unquote, normal life, like what is normal, but quote unquote, normal life, but yet something was wrong with me and I didn't know what it was. I totally relate to that part of your journey. And this is where I feel like our stories are the same because we both Mm -hmm. struggled with anxiety where like, 
I've even said to you at the age of 14, 15, 16, there is no way I could have articulated what I was feeling because I didn't know what it was. In fact, I had the opportunity recently with could have been me to go and share my story with about 15 teenage and high school girls. And I'm very open about it. Like I'm an open (laughs) book. You can ask me anything. But what one of them said to me after I had shared my entire story was, when your mom asked you, why did you say I'm okay? And I said, Mm -hmm. I think because I really thought I was okay. Like in my Mm -hmm. mind, I could control this thing, but it's because I had no idea what I was dealing with at that age. I didn't know literally until I was 34 that what I was feeling Mm -hmm. at the age of 14, 15, 16 was anxiety. Yeah. And so, you know, like I said, going through high school is is a hard time, I think, for all of us, no matter if you are, you know, popular, if you're an athlete, if yeah. you, you know, are like in the AP classes, like it doesn't matter what you're going through. Like high school is hard. Well, um, and you're like really, really tall. So when you say like nobody yeah. ever bullied you, like <laughs> did people legit never talk to you about your height? Because you're very tall. <laughs> they, you know, what's funny is, and it still happens to this day. I was really never made fun of for being tall. I was just always asked, oh my gosh, do you play basketball? Do you play volleyball? (laughs) Yeah. So I think people associated my height with like, she's really good at sports. So like, we're going to like her. I don't know. It's it's kind of a weird thing. And like Um, when I say Sam is tall, if y'all are listening to this and you're from the Midwest, everybody in the Midwest is tall. Like Sam is tall for a woman in the Midwest. (laughs) Yeah. I'm I'm, I'm six feet tall. So like, it's not like I didn't stand out, but yeah, people associated this physical attribute of mine to being good at sports. So yeah, it was yeah, kind of, it was sure. a weird, yeah, it was a weird Sorry, thing. Sorry, we digressed a little bit. Yeah. I just had to ask the question. <laughs> no worries. And here's the thing. And I think it's what you just brought up just triggered me to think of something. Um, it's important. I think I did experience some form of teasing in school yes. and I think everyone does. I just never got experienced anything past the point of what's considered bullying. Yeah. So just to preframe that everybody, I think every kid goes through some form of someone teased you. I wore glasses when I was in elementary school. Like, you know, it's, I have strawberry blonde hair. I am tall. So it's, you know, there, there were some forms of teasing, but it never escalated to, to full on bullying. Um, but just, you know, and then we kind of accelerate forward here. Um, I graduate high school, I go to college. I thought that I was going to go to school for nursing. Um, and a couple classes in, I kind of realized that's not what I want to do. And I had taken a psychology 101 course and I really liked it. And I, I understanding your brain and, and the emotions that are going through your body and kind of the, the psychopathy behind all of that was really intriguing to me. And so I switched my major to psychology. And that was when I realized when I started taking these classes what I had been experiencing as a high school student and what I was experiencing now as a college student had a name and it was called anxiety. Yeah. I was anxious and I, I had anxiety in not being able to control things, I think was one of my bigger portions and being a perfectionist and wanting things be, to be done right and to be done on time. And if there was a deadline, it had to be met and there were no excuses for those kinds of things. And that and you're great the, at meeting deadlines, by the way. I mean, you've worked <laughs> with me before. You're phenomenal yeah. at meeting well, deadlines. thank you. Thank <laughs> you so much. But it's it's it was one of those things. It was also the unknown of life. Um, I think a lot of people, especially if you have 
generalized anxiety. Um, it's this unknown of, of what does tomorrow bring and what does the future bring? And that's something you can't control. And so for the first time in my life, I was able to put a, a, a label to something. And I actually remember the day that I called my mom and said, mom, I am struggling with anxiety. I have anxious feelings all the time and I hate feeling like this. Yeah, I cannot level. stand feeling like this anymore. I am tired. I am mentally exhausted. Mm-hmm. And that was the day I remember my mom was like, okay, um, I'm going to make some phone calls. And she actually called. I went and saw um, um, a psychiatrist, I think it was, um, a couple of times. And he did kind of walk me through like, this is what you have. Um, and this is why you have it. Right. And I started learning. The cool thing was um, being in psychology classes and then also seeing someone who had studied this. I started learning what are the things that triggers me and how can I cope with this? Because yeah. I think the important thing is just because you are now labeled with something doesn't mean you have to suffer. Yeah. And I so I started actually learning what were the things that triggered me. Um, to start having anxious feelings and being anxiety ridden and what can I do to ground myself and to bring myself more peace in my life. And, and what's actually pretty cool is now I'm, I'm 29 years old and I still do have um, times where I experience anxiety. I, all of us do, I'm pretty sure. Um, but I have learned coping mechanisms that I don't have to be completely debilitated by this mental health issue. So I want to get to those coping mechanisms here in just a second, but I want to go back to something you brought up because anxiety can mean so many things and it's often Mm -hmm. very misunderstood. And so you brought up generalized anxiety disorder. WebMD has a great definition of this. So according to WebMD, generalized anxiety disorder is marked by excessive, exaggerated anxiety and worry about everyday life for no obvious reason. People with symptoms of generalized anxiety disorder tend to always expect a disaster and can't stop worrying about health, money, family, work, or school. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting because I never correlated that I had anxiety growing up, but yet my family nickname for me was the worry wart. <laughs> oh, wow. So, <laughs> and so like looking at it now, it just makes so much sense in my story that that's what it was. I just mm-hmm. didn't know due to lack of information and lack of mm-hmm. education. Um, do you want to talk a little bit about coping mechanisms right now, or do you want to keep going with your story first? Um, no, let's, let's jump into those. Cause I think that's going to be an important topic to hit. Yeah. So I think a very important thing about recovery from anything, whether it's trauma, anxiety, addiction, anything, we're all trying to recover from something in life is that everybody has a different path to recovery. And that's fine. Um, One of the questions I love to ask people is like, what's getting you through your days today? Like what's helping you live? What's keeping you inspired and keeping you moving forward? So what are some of the things that throughout this time of discovering, I have these feelings and you got a name to it and you saw Mm -hmm. a physician, then what are some of the coping mechanisms that you started to find worked for you? Yeah. So during this time I was in college Um, And so I think that can be both a stressor and kind of a motivator. Um, And so for me, what I did was I kind of turned my college experience from something 
that was so stressful to something that was positive and could be, I could be motivated by. And so at this point I was about halfway through college and what I started focusing my energy on was I'm going to have a degree. And that is something that no one can take away from me. And so for, for you, that can be, I mean, buying a car, getting uh, your first apartment, getting the job that you've wanted. And so for me, it was understanding at the end of this, I was going to have something to my name that no one could take from me. And so I kind of turned that experience from something that could be and is very stressful to something that was positive and motivating for me. So, I, and I think uh, Abraham Maslow, who developed Maslow's hierarchy of needs, once said, yes. what is necessary to change a person is to change his awareness of himself. And mm-hmm. I think when it comes to coping mechanisms, that self-awareness is so important because what works for you may not work for me. What works Correct. for me may not be the path of recovery for somebody next to me, but I think that that's okay. Yeah. Everybody can kind of find their own journey. So you just brought up college and the overwhelming, crazy, stressful chaos that is college, which now that I've been through the life I've been through, I'm like, oh, college was a piece of cake compared to this, (laughs) but it still is. Like you said, Mm -hmm. their reality is their reality. So the American College Health Association and the, did a national college health assessment. And that assessment showed us that 63% of college students in the U.S. felt overwhelming anxiety in the past. 23% reported being diagnosed or treated by a mental health professional for anxiety in the past year. So like 23% reported being treated by it. That's one in four. Those numbers are actually quite astonishing. Um, And 63% said, yes, I have it, which means a good percentage of people aren't really doing anything about it. Yeah. It's scary because I was there for a very long time not doing anything about it because I didn't even know Mm -hmm. what to put on it as a name. And I think that hits the nail on the head right there is you hear – 63% 63% of college students in the U.S. feel felt overwhelming anxiety while going through those four or five years. And I now have to think that there's 63% of them are feeling that and only, what did you say, 23% are, per- 23% are being diagnosed? Are being diagnosed How, or treated. What percentage of those people were like us and have no idea that what they're feeling has a name and has a recovery path? Yeah. And that they can be helped. Yep. And wow. and I think like that's what this is all about is for me, I did not speak up and talk about it with, um, when I was struggling in middle school and high school. It was just like the elephant in the room that you didn't talk about. And we yeah. didn't. I wasn't really taught as a child to talk about my feelings. So I yeah. do want to go back just a little bit because you realized mm-hmm. this when you were in college and you were going to school for psychology and it made sense and it clicked and then you talked to your mom, thank God. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But in your teen years, when you were experiencing this, did you ever verbalize or express your feelings to someone? Um, not in a very direct way. I think it was the problem was, is what I, I didn't realize that what I was experiencing was a problem, that it was a mental health issue and that I could be helped. I didn't even know what, what I had, what I had at that time. I didn't know it was anxiety. Um, I think it was kind of obvious to people around me that I was 
very particular about how things needed to be. And I think it was very obvious that I was a perfectionist. Um, I remember being in high school and I would be taking notes. And if it wasn't laid out perfectly in an organized fashion that made sense, I would do it all again. And I would that's start why over. you were my note taker when we were <laughs> together. But I, I think that you bring up a very important point here. Another question that was asked of me when I was meeting with this group of girls is when did you know there was a problem? And yeah. for me, it's very interesting because my answer was, I always knew there was a problem. I didn't know there was a solution. Yeah. And so like, I knew that like, I didn't like these feelings that I was yeah. feeling. I, I didn't know what to call them, but I knew I didn't like them, but I didn't know there was a solution. I thought it was just part of my personality. It was who mm-hmm. I was. It was the way I was. And in growing and learning and going to therapy and exercising and doing these things that work for me in my path of recovery, I have learned that there is a path to recovery and it's work every single day. So I knew there was a problem, but didn't know there was a solution. So um, what else do you have on the anxiety front or do you kind of want to jump into the next part of of your journey of your adult life? Um, Well, well, let's just wrap up the anxiety portion here. Um, I will say um, now that I'm well into my 20s, I'm going to be going into my 30s next year. um, I will say a lot of my anxiety has subsided. Um, I think a lot of mine was the kind of angst of growing up and being in high school and going to college and figuring out who you're going to be. I think when you read um, the definition of uh, GAD, generalized anxiety disorder, um, it really is kind of a, it's a, you don't know what that future holds for you. And you have this sense of the sky is falling and you don't really know why. And I think for me, as I've gotten older and, you know, I've, I've established myself in the workforce I've purchased my first home. Um, I have like, you know, I bought a car and I'm kind of finding my place in the world. I'm seeing that my anxiety is a lot less than what it was. Now that doesn't mean um, I go through parts of life where my anxiety, you know, can fluctuate because it does. Um, But I have learned the things that I can control and I control the heck out of those things. (laughs) You know what I mean? And the things that I can't control, I tell myself and I am learning every single day of, those are the things you just have to let nature take its course. Yeah, absolutely. So, and so kind of in closing on anxiety, I want to talk about some more of the statistics and then just share other forms of anxiety with those who are listening to, because it can mean so many things and there's no way we have time to cover them all. But yeah, according to the Anxiety and Depression Association of America, uh, social anxiety disorder, which is actually more of what I struggled with as a teen, mm-hmm. um, the a defining feature of social anxiety disorder, also called social phobia, is an intense anxiety or fear of being judged negatively, evaluated, or rejected in a social or performance situation. People with social anxiety disorder may worry about acting or appearing visibly anxious, blushing, stumbling over words, or being viewed as stupid, stupid, awkward, or boring. As a result, they often avoid social or performance-based situations. When a situation cannot be avoided, they experience significant anxiety and distress. Um, Mm -hmm. 
And then it just goes on more and more to talk about the symptoms. But that was more, I definitely had general anxiety disorder too, but more Mm -hmm. the social pressure that I really put on myself, just a constant pressure to perform and that perfectionism. And when we look at the numbers here, because part of shattering the stigma is bringing to the forefront the truth about how Mm -hmm. common these things are, according to... um, Uh, National Alliance on Mental Illness, NAMI, over 40 million adults in the U.S. have anxiety. Meanwhile, approximately 7% of children ages 3 to 17 experience issues with anxiety each year. So that's like from a very young age. Mm -hmm. And most people develop their symptoms of anxiety before the age of 21. So I think that ties right into like our teen years, our college years before 21 is most often when those symptoms show up. And then the National Institute on Mental Health says that an estimated 31.9% of adolescents have any anxiety disorder. Of adolescents with any anxiety disorder, an estimated 8.3% had severe impairment. The prevalence of any anxiety disorder among adolescents was higher for females at 38% than it was for males at 26.1%. So Mm -hmm. it's, it's out there. It's a common thing. If you're listening and you're experiencing some of the feelings like Sam and I talked about, just encourage you guys to talk to somebody in your life, find somebody that you trust in and talk to them. So, um, now I know that that's just a part of your personal story, Sam. And I think yes. the other side of your story ties into why you decided to get involved with Could Have Been Me. Mm-hmm. Um, are you okay talking about that a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. The, as I you know, kind of talked about the first 26 years of my life, not really experiencing loss or anything like that, um, in the last about two and a half, three years, um, loss kind of hit me right in the face. And I had experienced um, loss both personally and professionally due to suicide. Um, So I lost two males in my life, um, one a family member and one uh, was somebody that I worked with professionally. And both of those males um, did end their own lives. Your family member, I want to talk to you a little bit about this, is just when you get that news or hear like what happened for you and your mm-hmm. story, where was your mind at during that time? Yeah. That's devastating, devastating news to hear. Yeah. Um, so to be completely honest, um, when I first was told he had passed, it wasn't immediately clear that it was suicide. Okay. Um, it was just that he had passed and it was kind of suspected that that was what happened, that he did commit suicide, but it wasn't like cut and dry. This is what the coroner stated and and this is what it is. Um, And I remember hearing the news that he had passed and I was almost in a state of like a dream, I guess you could say. Like I was numb from head to toe. And what's crazy is Ashley, I remember calling you. You were one of like the first five people that I called after I got the news, um, being my boss at the time. And I remember calling you and you answered the phone and I was like, Hey, um, just want to kind of fill you in on some things that are happening in my family right now. And, um, just wanted to let you know that I had a very close 
um, family member and he passed away today. Um, and you were like, okay, um, how are you doing? How are you feeling? And I was like, honestly, Ashley, I don't feel anything. And you were like, you're in shock. (laughs) That's what that's called. Um, you know, it'll, it'll pass. And I remember it's almost like a feeling of like, either like you're in a dream or like if you've been drunk and you kind of just like, don't have any sensory of your body. That's exactly what I felt like for like three days. I remember, I remember seeing you like that and you were just, you were kind of numb to the world, which is how Mandy describes me after my son passed away too. Like I was just in a haze, in a fog, numb to the world, kind of like almost like robotic in nature. Yeah. Like you're just kind of floating through the day. Um, and so that's kind of how it was for me the first couple of days. And I remember, um, what kind of snapped me out of it was when I told you basically, like you pulled me aside at work and I was like, Hey, I'm going to have to take a few days off. I need to go back home. We're going to have this, you know, the funeral, the memorial. And you were kind of like, okay, do you know what happened? And I, for the first time said out loud, he committed suicide. And I remember falling apart. Um, and that was like the release of emotion for me to start feeling and, and, and coming to the understanding that this is what happened. Not necessarily accepting it yet because acceptance was kind of down the road for me um, through the stages of grief, but it was coming to terms with the fact that he had passed. Well, it's interesting because there is something about saying it out loud that makes it a reality and you're not accepting it, but you're saying like, this is my reality right now. And that's interesting because when you did my podcast episode, I wasn't I was the one who actually wrote the words that my son was had passed, but I mm-hmm. wasn't the one who could find the gusto to write the words and say, we've made the decision to allow him to die. Yeah. And and it was because saying that would have made it reality for me. Yeah. And I remember yeah. navigating through those moments with you as your boss and just wanting to give you your space to grieve and and cope and deal with that loss. And at the same time, like caring about you very much as a person and as a friend and as someone Mm -hmm. who's lost somebody, just having empathy for you and knowing that there was a lot going on surrounding the circumstances about the death. And so, um, obviously, first of all, I'm very sorry. And I'm very Mm -hmm. uh, proud of you for being willing to get on here and and talk through this situation. Uh, Through working together and could have been me, you've talked about some changes that occurred in your family as a direct result of the circumstance that happened with your family member losing his life to suicide. Are you willing to talk about that a little bit? Yeah. So um, I think a lot of and I don't know if this is the case for everyone's family, but for my family, we would talk and, and ha 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 and share stories and, and, you know, kind of go through life together, but not realizing that we weren't really sharing the everyday crap that gets to us mm-hmm. and just kind of mulling over it because like, I, I don't want to complain about it or I don't have time to talk about it or you don't want to hear about it, whatever the excuse was. Um, so I don't want to say that it's not that we weren't close or that we didn't talk about things. We just didn't really dive into the little nitty gritty day-to-day life that just really gets you. Um, and after he passed, I think it was, you know, we really saw the importance of now it's time to kind of share those things. And it's, it's really funny. Um, well, I mean, not necessarily funny, but it's just interesting to see, um, how now 
when, you know, I talk to certain family members, we're just like talking about just stupid crap. And it's like, wow, this really just got to me. And this is how it made me feel. And we kind of, you know, talk about it and talk through it and give advice. And, and you feel better after that phone call or after that interaction. And it's kind of like, wow, okay, I, I have a support system. I have people who care about me, or I have people to care about. Um, I think it goes both ways. Um, and so I think it's just really amazing to see, um, you know, I know we talked about this earlier, when it comes to a loss like that, I think especially suicide, it's like a make it or break it for some families. I think a lot of families, actually. It's either something that you come together and it makes you stronger, or you hear about um, parents of, of children who committed suicide and they end up in divorce and never speaking to each other again because it just cripples their marriage or it cripples their family ties. Um, and so, you know, I'm, I'm really happy to see that even through something terrible that has happened, um, with him, you know, ending his life that, that, you know, my family and I were able to just move forward from that and, and make him proud and, you know, memorialize his life, but also still be able to just share the happy and the sad and the in-between. Yeah. And I think that's awesome. And when it comes to suicide, I believe there's so much that is misunderstood, um, I've had an experience suicidal ideations myself, and unless your brain has been there, it's very difficult for yes. you to understand what someone yes. is going through. And first of all, we're not therapists, counselors, or mental health professionals. No. We're just two girls talking <laughs> about this. Sharing, really. sharing our stories. <laughs> but I do think that when we look at the National Alliance on Mental Illness, uh, talking about some warning signs for suicidal ideation and um, just warning signs and risk factors. I want to go through a few of those. So increased alcohol and drug use, aggressive behavior, withdrawal from friends, family, and community, dramatic mood swings, impulsive or reckless behavior, collecting and saving pills or buying weapons, starting to give away possessions, tying up loose ends, saying goodbye to friends and family. And then risk factors associated are a family history of suicide, substance use, intoxication, access to firearms, a serious or chronic mental illness, gender. Um, And this is, I, I said a little bit, but men are four times more likely to die by suicide. Although women attempt suicide more than men, men are four times more likely to actually be successful. Um, A history of trauma or abuse, prolonged stress, a recent tragedy or loss. Um, And having been like experienced some of those feelings, the way I said it in my podcast is I didn't want to die, but Mm -hmm. I didn't want to live. And it's this weird limbo of like, you don't want to die. You don't want to live. So where does that allow you to be? And Mm -hmm. so when I share my story, one of the questions I was asked is just like, how can we support someone who is struggling like that? And I'm not going to give advice, but what worked for me was just to have people in my life show up for me and people in my life surround me with love and surround me with care. Um, Mm -hmm. And the National Alliance on Mental Illness does give some ways to approach a suicide type crisis. Talk Mm -hmm. openly and honestly. Don't be afraid to ask questions like, do you have a plan for how you would kill yourself? Remove items such as guns, knives, or stockpiled pills. Calmly and simply ask 
questions like, can I help you call your doctor? If there are multiple people around, have one person speak at a time. Don't argue with the person. Don't threaten or raise your voice. Don't debate about whether suicide is right or wrong. If you're nervous, try not to fidget or pace and just be patient with yeah. that individual. Um, and I think it is, it's, it's such a hard topic to, to go through and to mm-hmm. talk about. Um, um, these are the numbers. I hinted at some of them earlier, but one person dies by suicide every 12 minutes in the United States. Suicide is the second leading cause of death for people ages 10 to 34. 75% of those who die by suicide are male. Suicide is the 10th leading cause of death in the U.S. And suicide has significantly increased since 2001. Symptoms of mental health conditions are shown by 90% of the people who die by suicide. 4.8% of adults in the U.S. experienced suicidal ideations in 2019. And suicidal ideation refers to thinking about, considering, or planning suicide. And I've got to tell you, those are just numbers from 2019, I believe, I don't know this because the research hasn't been done. We're still in the midst of the year, but I believe that in 2020, in the midst of a global pandemic where people are socially isolated and experiencing stressors like we've never experienced in our lifetime, um, that those numbers are going to be shocking and and scary and tragic. Yeah. And I, I totally agree with you. I like, we don't know what those numbers are because they are not out yet, but I think it is going to be shocking to see the number of people who have either, um, thought about attempted or have committed suicide. Um, and I think it is, like you said, um, it's, it's, it's a hard topic to talk about because I think a lot of people don't know how to talk to somebody who is having thoughts um, or planning suicide. I think for me, um, when it came to finding out my family member had committed suicide and then, um, a couple of months ago, um, a man that I worked professionally with had committed suicide hearing it. It's hard for me to come to terms with it because I personally don't know what that's like to think about killing myself. Um, I can't relate to that because I have never had um, suicidal thoughts. And so for me, and I think for many others, why we why people find it hard to talk about is because you can't relate to it. You don't understand what that person's going through. And actually hearing you talk about, you know, you didn't want to die, but you also didn't want to live. Not ever experiencing that state of limbo is hard to be relatable to that person. And it's hard to accept um, if they have committed suicide, the choice that they made and kind of the aftermath of of that that loss. Well, and I think um, we had the same colleague professionally uh, mm-hmm. who yeah. died by suicide. And I think, you know, that's where this whole journey of could have been me started is I have yeah. had those feelings. I have felt those things before. And so for me, as I'm sitting, like you're saying, it's hard for individuals who've never been there to mm-hmm. understand. And I had such a understanding of the place that Mm -hmm. something like that could come from because I've been there before multiple times in my life. And so I just had this, 
like, I don't know, like empathy and like anger towards Mm -hmm. myself for not being willing to talk about my struggles because that's really why we're here and what this is all about and why we're, why we're talking about this today is that hopefully us talking can help somebody else so that they don't ever get to that point to encourage them to use their voice to find their, for you, it was your mom. For me, it was not my mom. It was somebody else. Mm -hmm. And that's fine because everybody's path to recovery looks different, but find that person and just talk to them. So I think for a lot of people as well, and this is what was true for me was while after this happened and we lost our family member, I felt like I was on an Island. Like I felt like nobody was going to understand. Like this was just so um, just such a, a horrible experience and such a horrible loss that one day he was here and, and the next day he's not. And the fact of the matter is like, Ashley, you just read those statistics. I'm not alone. And right. if you have had a family member, a friend, um, a personal colleague that you, that worked with that has committed suicide, that you personally have thought about committing suicide, that you're not alone. And that's really, like you said, the purpose of why we're here is, is that you have people you can, you can come to and talk to, um, find that person that you trust, find that person that you feel comfortable and, and just tell them like, this is what's going on with me. And, and I want help if you, if you would like help. So. So I have a couple of questions here for you in closing, and I'm going to throw in a wild card that you are probably okay. prepared for. Um, I'm going to make my <laughs> wild card question. My first question what personal prison have you built for yourself? Personal prison that I have built for myself. That's a good question. Um, I think so for me, it's, it always derives from those feelings of anxiety. Um, and for me, the most prevalent and the highest, um, how do you say this? The most, um, experienced behavior and, and feelings of my anxiety were the perfectionism. Mm -hmm. And I think for me, like it's, and it comes through every part of, of me as a person. It's kind of almost ingrained in my personality. Like I want my home to look perfect. I want my work to be perfect. I want the freaking food that I cook to be like plated up and look perfect. You know what I mean? Like everything that I do, I want to be able to do it right. And I want to be able to do it right the first time. It's like, I think for me, I kind of, It's like a paralyzed perfection. Like you paralyze by your perfection and then so hard on yourself if you don't meet your own standards. Yes, exactly. And it's like, no one else really gives a crap about this. Like I'm the (laughs) only one that's doing it to myself. But I think for me, as I, I do imprison myself in this thought of like, you have one shot and you have to do it right the first time. It has to be perfect. And if it's not, then uh, you just didn't try hard enough or you weren't as prepared as you could have been or or you didn't put enough effort forward. And I think for me, it's breaking down those walls and understanding like we're human and we're not designed to be perfect and we can make mistakes and have flaws and that's okay. Well, I think that all or nothing mentality is totally something I struggle with too. Or like if it's not perfect, then it's a failure. Those are the only two ends yeah. of the spectrum. Like it's either perfect yep. or it's a failure. <laughs> and so <Yep. laughs> I appreciate your honesty and your transparency with that one. Now, if yeah. you could go back in time and tell a younger version of yourself one thing, what would you mm-hmm. say? A younger version of myself something. Um that and I think, so this is kind of like, I'm, I'm going to put myself in a paradox here. Um, okay. 
when you're in high school, cause I'm, I'm envisioning like 16 year old Sam. Um, when you're in high school, people will probably tell you things like, it feels like it's the end of the world and everything feels so crazy when you're in high school, but this stuff really isn't going to matter. And I hate when people say that because it's like, but it is your reality right now. Like I have nothing else to compare this situation to. Like I'm not 40 years old, so I don't know what the next 20 years of my life are going to entail. Um, But I think what I would tell like my 16 or 17 year old self is that like, this is okay. And like, you're going to make it and you're going to get through this and not everything is like an end of the world experience. Like you can make mistakes and, and you can be flawed and you can be imperfect. And, and guess what? You're still going to be the 29 year old you are today. So I think that's what it would be. And I think saying it doesn't matter completely undermines that time in your life because for me, that's where my trajectory of where my mental health issues started, like started ramping up a ton. So I, my life today, I know has been extremely impacted by Mm -hmm. what was going on when I was 14, 15, 16, 17 years old. Yeah. All right. Last one here. What brings you joy? every day. So recently, um, I like a huge milestone for me was I purchased my first house back in June. And so for me, like, yeah, for me understanding that I am a single 29 year old woman that like, I have, like, I, like I said, I'm kind of established now in the workforce and, um, I bought my first house. And that for me is just like, I come home every day and I'm like, this is mine. Yeah. Like, and that brings me, that brings me so much joy. And then I also would say, um, um, I have two nephews and a niece and one of my nephews, he was actually just born in October and he is the perfect little chubby bundle of joy. And I think, um, just seeing like the next generation of like my family and like my friends and their kids coming up in the world and seeing, the people that they're becoming and their little personalities coming out. I think that just makes me really joyful. Awesome. Well, this was super fun and I am looking forward. I know we're going to do this again, filming and after the show pretty soon. So I'm looking forward to that conversation with you, Sam. Thank you for your honesty, openness, and transparency with us today. Awesome. Thank you for having me. It was, uh, it was really liberating sharing my story. So thank you. Awesome. Thank you for listening to Real Stories, Real People, and a huge thank you to Sam for being willing to share her story. Here at Could Have Been Me, we're always looking for people who are willing to share their story. If you would like to share your personal journey on a future episode of Real Stories, Real People, please email us at info at itcouldhavebeenme.org, and we will send you our podcast guest application. Thanks so much for joining us. There's more to come next week.